Friday, everybody. This is the After Hours Podcast presented by People's United Bank. Seely Godwin and no, Emerson Lotti is not here. I told him to go kick rocks. Instead, I pulled Jemai Webster in for today's show. We got a lot to talk about, Jemai. Absolutely. Glad to be here as always. You know, my nickname is Plan B, so uh, certainly okay <laughs> with, uh, with uh, joining you. But yeah, so much to get to. We got Chris Grinham on here. Uh, talking Celtics with us. He's a Boston Celtics sports writer for Forbes Sports and a lot to discuss and digest, or maybe I should use another word, uh, unpack, I guess is the word I'm looking for, even though it was hard to stomach them going down 2-0 to the Miami Heat. Um, we'll talk about that, what went on afterwards in the locker room reportedly, plus um, the Celtics, uh, the Patriots are also on our list. 1-0 this week, 15 more to go. Cam Newton experiment, so far so good. We'll talk about that, maybe discuss what other weapons they should have in their show. Plus, uh, we'll give you some quarantine thoughts. I'm not sure if I have much, but uh, I'll have you take the reins on that, Celie. Oh, I have tons uh, of thoughts, pointless, useless thoughts to share. <laughs> Absolutely. So just most importantly, I'm just, just happy to be here and happy to be talking sports. Chris, uh, we got you in here. First of all, I, I just kind of want to get your five takeaways from last night's game. Five takeaways. Um, you wrote it, about that, right? It, yeah, I did. It certainly wasn't. It wasn't pretty. I think if you want to just go surface level, surface level, it was a one terrible third quarter, which was ultimately their downfall. Two, it was atrocious effort, um, mainly in the second half from the Celtics. Three, just the theme of blowing leads that's become a real problem with this team. Four, Kemba Walker was alive and he actually had a bounce back performance which if you want to look yeah he's alive I mean if you want (laughs) to take a positive from that game if you could take any that's certainly one and then five which is it doesn't really matter in the long run but Ennis Cantor showed up last night like I didn't think he showed up to the gym prepared to play uh, but he was actually pretty good in the second quarter he was bad for a two-minute stint in the third but I thought that was kind of surprising so Surface level, five takeaways, that's, that's what I have. But it was not a uh, pretty second half for the Celtics. Chris, defensively, I mean, what can the Celtics do to stop Gorgon Dragic? I can't believe I'm <laughs> even saying that. This guy's their leading scorer in the postseason, averaging 20-plus points a game. And he seems every time he touches the ball, he's putting the ball in the cup and he's been unstoppable. Celtics seem to be a defensive team that, you know, is a Brad Stevens hallmark, somebody who's going to be tough on both ends of the floor. So I don't understand how he's able to get to the basket so easily. Yeah. I mean, he's been the killer, right? You go into the series assuming it's going to be Jimmy Butler. He's the guy you're looking at, or even Bam Adebayo, but it turns out to be Goran Dragic. And in the bubble, he's really been the guy for Miami, surprisingly enough. He's so good off the dribble. He's so quick. And I think when teams approach Miami, they look to take away Jimmy Butler and they look to take away Bam Adebayo. And the Heat run these quick dribble handoffs on the perimeter, which frees up Drogic. And if you get a good mismatch like Kemba Walker, who's not necessarily a bad defender, but he's not a stout defender who can stay in front of someone like Drogic. I mean, he's going to blow past you and he can beat you off the dribble really, really quickly. So it's got to be frustrating for a team like the Celtics that up to this point has really taken pride in their defense. And that's, ultimately what's gotten them to this point but he's been so so good he's kind of the engine that makes them run and it's it's hard because you can't it's it's really you got to pick your poison especially without Gordon Hayward because Gordon Hayward is a great perimeter defender and without him you got to kind of pick who to shut down and right now they 
they can't really shut down Drogic, and it's just it's been their downfall ultimately. But he's just quick off the dribble. They target those mismatches, and he's been he's been great against Kemba. It's been ridiculous. I mean, the dude is playing at an all star level, and he's always been yeah. a decent NBA player. But I mean, what he's doing now, he's been arguably the best player in this series so far in two games. He it's probably crazy. he probably has, which I, I know a lot of people didn't expect. But Jimmy Butler's been relatively quiet. He's been effective, but quiet. But but again, like the Heat are not up two games to nothing without Goran. That's for sure. I know a lot of people were surprised to look at the stat sheet and be like, Jimmy Butler had 14 points. It's like the loudest 14 points ever, though. Um, I mean, he's still producing and he's still so freaking dangerous. Um, I, I want to ask you this because I've been seeing this floating around out there. You talked about the third quarter struggles that we've seen over and over and over again. But when they're coming, when the Celtics are coming out of the half with such a massive lead and then everything seems to fall apart, how much of this do you attribute to coaching, to Brad Stevens? How much does he need a shoulder for some of these really sorry second halves we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of it, it kind of has to when you blow lead after lead. Cause I mean, they blew a 14 point lead in game one. They blew a 17 point third quarter lead last game. So some of it has to come down to coaching, but a lot of it, again, for me, just comes back to effort because if you watch some of those possessions in the third quarter and even in the fourth quarter, they were just getting outworked by Miami. And I mean, that in my mind is player driven. Yeah. You do have to motivate your players, but to a point you can only motivate them so much. So I do think a lot of that comes down to the Celtics. I mean, they had a shot with 15 seconds left in regulation to tie the game. The only reason they had that shot was because Jimmy Butler threw the ball out of bounds. Like Bam Adebayo, had a very, very easy offensive rebound with 20 seconds left because the Celtics were, again, just standing flat-footed looking around. So I think it all comes back to effort, which in my mind is player-driven, which is probably why you had Marcus Martin, Jalen Brown, and everyone going at it in the locker room after the game. Which, uh, which I'm glad that you brought up, Chris, <laughs> <laughs> because this Celtics team started to play off 6-0. Everybody was ready to hand them the Larry O'Brien trophy right away. But since they've gone two and five in those contests, you mentioned the after postgame spat that went on in the locker room, reportedly Gary Washburn, a friend of the program, uh, certainly on that and, and reporting those facts to us. But has this bubble life gotten to this Celtics team? How can a situation like this unfold where Marcus Smart is, is leaving the locker room without speaking to the press afterwards and then, you know, uttered some, some uh, comments that, you know, that seemed like the team wasn't on board. How do you explain that? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people probably saw that after the game last night and went to, oh, my God, like this team is imploding. I saw it on Twitter a couple of times, like this team is in bad shape. But you're down 2-0 after two games that you really should have – probably one right it's it's okay for this team to kind of blow up and I think to a point it's probably a good thing that they blew up because you kind of need a little fire after a while if you keep blowing lead after lead and post game you're just saying well you know we'll bounce back and that's not Celtics basketball and it'll be okay in game three like well it's clearly not working and it's clearly it's clearly not making any difference so at some point you do look to a leader like Mark Marcus Smart to start calling people out or just kind of losing it and I don't think that's a a bad thing at all I don't think the bubble's really getting to them I I just think it's pure frustration and it's okay 
for these guys to be ticked off after two brutal losses that they know they should have won and they know that it falls on them. So I think it's frustration and I think it's basically saying, you know, our, our backs are against the wall. Now it's, you know, we got we to gotta figure this out right now. I, I will yeah. say, like, it's, I think it's getting blown up as, as a negative yeah. that they're getting upset at each other. And I'm like, no, these, these are athletes. They're competing. Of course, they're putting their heart and their soul, and they sacrifice so much to go down in the bubble with all the things that they're, they're having to do down there, being away from everyone for so long. Um, and, and it's just all basketball all the time, and, and that can get to you. But I, I see nothing wrong with Marcus Smart getting upset because, like you said, it's it, it, probably going to actually help them in the long run. Um, I, I do want to talk about Kemba a little bit more um, just because it, it, it's finally we, we see him lead the team, 23 points. Um, but what, what, do you, what impressed you the most about what you saw from him in game two? I mean, his confidence was there. I mean, they were – it was clearly lacking early on in the series. And even against Toronto at times, he just wasn't really confident. And, again, I keep going back to it, but without Gordon Hayward, they need him to be that major offensive threat that they brought him in here to do uh, – and to be, excuse me. So, I think his confidence was was the real factor in, in game two. It started in the first quarter. He hit two threes right off the bat, which – was the first time he hit multiple threes in a game since the middle of the series against Toronto. Like he hadn't done that in a long time. So the fact that he could have a nice start to get his confidence going to kind of get him moving offensively was really, really major. And if you're going to have a game where Jason Tatum shoots two threes, which is unacceptable. If, if that's going to be the case, you're going to need to turn to Kemba Walker. So again, that was, that was a major factor, but I think it starts with his confidence and that, first quarter was pretty key in getting him going. You know, you mentioned a point that actually, to me, it seemed to be glaring in the contest. You said Jason Tatum shot two threes. Yeah. Did it feel to you like he took a step back offensively a little bit, like he was deferring more? Yeah, I don't know if it's deferring because, it. you know, he was six for 12, he had 21 points. I, I don't know if I'd call it deferring, but it's just a little passive. And again, it's hard when you have an offense where you have multiple offensive weapons, you get a guy going early like Kemba. They've done such a good job of balancing that offense all year long where, hey, if Kemba has it tonight, I'm going to take a step back. Or if you're Kemba, hey, Tatum has it tonight, I'm going to take a step back. So maybe it's a little bit of that. But again, if down the stretch, I mean, Tatum, you know you're the guy. So you are going to have to step up at some point. And again, some of this is that heat zone kind of causing fits along the perimeter for the Celtics. It's been really, it's been really, really good. So you do have to attribute some of it to Miami's success defensively, but I just think it's Tatum being a little passive. And again, he is still a younger player. So he's still kind of figuring out when to, you know, really assert himself. And I think that's going to come into play. I think you'll see him get plenty of shots, um, from three, I would hope, in, in game three, because two two attempts is, is not going to cut it. Uh, yeah. Before we look ahead into game three, I will say, for everything that went on in game two, having 20 turnovers, that turning into 26 points for the Heat, yeah. um, still, you lose by five. So if you just clean up one little area, it seems like you can get a win. And right. It's – you still got to pay attention to that. It was still pretty close with everything wrong that was going on with the Celtics. Um, but when it comes to game three, do you expect Gordon Hayward to be back out there? 
I would, I would like to think so. Uh, I mean, the positive part for the Celtics is that even if he doesn't, they have pushed game four off into next week because they don't want to compete with Monday night football on Monday night. And then they go to, I, th- I believe it's Wednesday night now. So that's going to be huge. So if he doesn't play game three, he'll, I would really assume unless he has to leave for the birth of his child, he would play in game four. However, his, his workouts have been going well from everything we've heard. I mean, he's had a lot of personal workouts, uh, one-on-one workouts with the Celtics staff after practice. He's got another one this afternoon. That's going to be pretty telling. But I would be surprised if he doesn't play in game three just because everything we've heard is positive news, positive developments about his recovery, and the Celtics know that they really need him. I mean, he's massive, massive for helping break that heat zone, which has really caused problems for the Heat. So, or uh, for the Celtics, excuse me. So, yeah, I do expect him to play in game three just because I feel like that's where we're trending. I don't have any real insight or insider information on that, but I, I do expect him to play on Saturday. Yeah, that heat zone, it's been something ridiculous. And they didn't even run it, actually, during the first few games back into the regular season. They saved that for the postseason, and it's been tough to scout for the Celtics. It's caused them fits offensively, and it's really disrupted what they've been able to do. Uh, Chris, uh, thanks for the insight. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, We'll be looking ahead to see what the Celtics do. Hopefully, they can make this a series. Um, Miami, I believe their numbers 14-0, went up 2-0 in seven-game series, so... Uh, the history is not on their side right now. They need to really get it together. Yeah, those numbers aren't great, but I appreciate you guys having me on. Hopefully next time we chat, it's a different story. Yeah, yeah. that is the hope. I don't want to be talking about a sweep here. Yeah. Chris, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, we're moving on to week two of the NFL season. Patriots rolling on to Seattle with a one win in tow, uh, what, what do you, let's quickly talk about what we saw in Miami, what you liked, what you thought worked, what you thought didn't work with the Patriots. I think first and foremost, and the easiest one, Cam Newton as advertised. There was a lot of offseason talk about what he wouldn't be and how, you know, teams were shy on him because he was coming off a major injury. But, I mean, the man bet on himself, and so far it's an early sample size, but he's been absolutely correct. He didn't seem limited at all. Um, he seemed to be able to play the game fully. And then he had a situation there at the end where he got into a tussle a little bit with uh, some ripping. Yeah. Yeah. You don't rip, you don't rip a man's chain. All right. Let's just get that out there. You don't touch a man's <laughs> chain. Those are like talking about somebody's mama. You I mean, I, I, I thought it came to leave retired, man. Who, why right. are you and, and, that, and that was mad disrespectful. Let's just say that. Like I love to leave as a, as a player, but that was mad disrespectful, but they tried to do that on cam and that, that got him upset. And, and people thought that he was reaching for his hamstring afterwards but he never went to the ground there he made it clear that he was okay but I mean the man is as advertised offense looked great and it looked a lot more the same of the Patriots of the years past that they ran offensively with Tom Brady it seemed like Cam was able to you know highlight and and hone in on some of his strengths but also the offense it looked like it had always looked to me yeah um the the thing is is that Cam is going to run and he's going to run a lot because kind of like what we saw last year with the Patriots offense is that you just, I don't know, Tom, if Tom truly trusted the receivers that he had outside of Jules. So to see 15 times Cam Newton carrying the ball, while it's exciting, I think from a fan's perspective to, to see that, to see him, you know, take control of the game with his feet, I don't think it's sustainable. And I think that it, you know, I know he's healthy, and that's just proof that he's healthy right now if he's running that many times um, for two scores. But uh, 
it, it's, it's an interesting offense that we're seeing. I'm hoping that we will get some more of these tight end targets involved. Izzo had a, had a good day. Um, I mean, Jules was really low on, on, on reps. I think 53% of the snaps he was, he was out there, which he doesn't really chuck up to anything. When he was talking to media, he said he didn't really care about it. You know, it is what it is. Um, he's not thinking too much about it, but, uh, I mean, the dolphins, I don't think it's a, a win that you're, you know, putting up on the top of the shelf as a, a look at this uh, Seattle, if they can get a win in Seattle, that will be one that you can, you know, hang your hat on there. And that, that'll really show to me what this Patriots team can do. I think week two is really going to be a true test for this Patriots team. Um, Russell Wilson, what he was able to do last week, I think he threw for like 10,000 yards. I mean, it felt like it at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, 322 wow. yards, four touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, it's just incredible. Seriously. I, I mean, that's another thing. Is that sustainable against this Patriots defense? Well, that's a great question you bring up. And you, I Jeff. think, I th yeah, <laughs> shout out to you. Uh, I think <laughs> the, uh, the Seahawks obviously is a completely different defense or offense, excuse me, um, than the Miami Dolphins. They just put up 11 points. So you got to feel like the defense was able to stop them there, you know, and now, you know, you hold the Dolphins to just 269 yards of total offense. They only had nine drives, but the Patriots also had nine drives. But what they were able to do with theirs, they turned it into 21 points and almost or more than 350 yards of total offense. So now this week you step into Seattle in their place without the 12th man, which is huge, I think. No I crowd. Think it's way bigger for the pit, for the it's way worse for Seattle than it is better for the Patriots, if that makes sense. Exactly. That makes perfect sense. So um, no crowd involvement. It's going to be an empty stadium with the exception of the people who are playing the game and, you know, personnel who need to be there. But you're coming in and stepping on the field with the NFC Offensive Player of the Week and Russell Wilson, who right now is looking like an MVP candidate if he's able to maintain this level of efficiency offensively. But I think the Seahawks, you know, they seem to be a team that's going to be there at the end, at least when it comes to the NFC, you know, you talk about what they did last year, a play away on the doorstep of getting in, getting past the 49ers. Um, this year they returned arguably the same team and even got better with Jamal Adams. Now safety on defense. You got Brandon, um, you got, excuse me, Bobby Wagner, who was an all pro linebacker, hundred plus tackles per year. You got Bruce Irvins. You got guys who are going to be defensive stoppers. So I think this will be a true test for how the Patriots look offensively. Um, coming into this week. We'll see if uh, Josh McDaniels is indeed going to open up that playbook. I think I'd like to see him throw it around a little bit more, but, you know, that brings up a question about the receiving core. You talked about Julian Edelman and what he was able to do. Um, led the team in receiving yards, I believe, but his playing time was a little bit diminished. Maybe that was based on, you know, scheme or what have you. But I still think they need that offensive threat who can, you know, open up defenses over the top. And, we haven't seen that to this point. Uh, one other thing I want to want to bring up is that Seattle was fourth ranked on stopping the rush last week. Uh, they limited them to 72 yards on, on the ground. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. They're going to have to open it up a little bit if they're going to get Seattle to give them some room to run. Um, so uh, they, they're going to have to throw a little bit more in this one. I don't think they really have a choice. Um, and Seattle's, defense got burned by Matty Ice early on 
when it came to the throwing game. So I think if you kind of go that path, I think you can open up the run game that way, kind of reverse. But uh, the, the one other thing that we're kind of keeping our eye on is everything that's going on on the West Coast right now with the wildfire crisis. The air quality is awful. Like, you can't breathe. They, they've had to move multiple Mariners games to their opponents. So it was San Francisco, they, and then now it's in San Diego. The Seahawks have been practicing inside. Right. So Jules, Jules was talking about it yesterday. A reporter asked him about it on, on Thursday, and he was like, you know what? It's not my call. I'm not going to worry about it. Somebody else is going to make that decision. I think that's, you know, again, the proper way to answer that question. Um, but it, it is a little bit concerning to just know those things are going on on, on the West Coast. Hopefully the wind pattern shifts and it, it makes things better. But an, an 8:20 kickoff from CenturyLink Field, no 12th man. Um, this is a true test for the Patriots. I think this week is. But uh, I want to talk about another person who's going to have a true test in week two: Tom Brady and the Buccaneers taking on Carolina. Just walk me through what you saw from Tom Brady and the Bucks in week one, Jemai. Uh I saw a lot of. You know, I was I was very. You know, I was on the hype train. I'll just be there. And, and 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 be real with everybody. I oh. was on the hype train too. You saw what um, you know the Buccaneers had assembled in the offseason. Not only getting Tom Brady, getting Gronk, getting Leonard Fournette, already having Ronald Jones, OJ Howard there, um, also Cameron Braid. I mean the list goes on. Levante David on defense. They are stout on paper, and I was on the hype train believing that without taking into effect. That you know what, just like when the Warriors were assembled, like it takes some time, you know. Obviously, you don't have an 82 game season here, but it's a 16 game season. But over the course of those 16 games, you got to mesh, you got to get going, you got to figure out timing, game type reaction. We saw that on at least two of Tom Brady, or, or at least one of Tom Brady's interceptions, where uh, Mike Evans stopped on a route and Tom thought he was going over the top. So that was a pick. His pick six. That looked like it was more so a misread. Maybe even you want to throw out age. Who knows? It looked like a solid pass to me, but just great defensive play by Janoris Jenkins to pick that off. So I've seen a lot of uh, growing pains, I would describe. Um, but they look solid. Early on, you're like, wow, this is actually going to work. And then they hit a bit of a bump. So I think we'll be seeing some growing pains as they go on with the season. A lot more success mixed in, certainly, but... Um, I think they do get past the Panthers. They were in themselves a dogfight with the Las Vegas Raiders. It's weird to even say that. But the Raiders came back and they beat them um, in, in week one. So I think they beat the Panthers because the Panthers are kind of been a bit of a rebuild. Uh, Matt Rule, coach Taylor. New quarterback, um, new coach, new exactly. system. Yeah. So I think they're, they probably don't look at it that way, but I think they should get past the Panthers. It should be their first win, plus they're playing at home. Yes, um, that, that definitely helped playing at home, even though there is no fans. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you on a lot of those points. I think it was humble pie a little bit for Tom Brady because also first time he's getting called out kind of in the media by his head coach. Bill would not do that. So Bruce is a little bit more loose lips where he's more willing to be honest with the media. And I think that got blown up out of proportion. And – then it was that Tom was asked about it yesterday and he was very short with the answer that, you know, he's going to coach and he's a coach. I'm a player. He's coaching. So again, I think the media taking that as too much, of course, a, a coach should be 
honest about if his quarterback is not playing up to his level. Tom Brady admits that. But I do think we will see a much, much better performance from the Bucks offense as a whole. Chris Godwin is in concussion protocol, so that's interesting. But Mike Evans has a national for rebounding after games where he finishes with one catch or less. Um, according to ESPN stats and info, he averaged six catches and 85 receiving yards after having a slow game like that. So I do think they'll bounce back. Um, I think just getting used to each other because we didn't have a preseason uh, training camp was a little bit different. Tom did get some extra reps down in Florida, you know, got a little slap on the wrist for doing some stuff downtown and at the high schools or whatever school he was practicing at. But yes, getting on the same page is going to be hard because for 20 years he was doing everything the same. He knew all these guys here in New England like the back of his hand. So definitely growing pains is a good way of putting it. I do think that they will beat Carolina. Um, Let's roll into some quarantine thoughts. Oh, what is on my mind right now? Oh, man, Uh, let's go. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I've been watching a lot of interesting TV shows. Um, I've been watching Schitt's Creek. That's been really good. I heard about Um, that. I might have to check it out. I mean, I got so many on my list, but yeah, I've heard about that one. That is is real, 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 real funny. Um, But yeah, also, it's getting cold. What's what's going on? It's 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 scary. We're in the middle of September and it's already cold. Yeah, here we go. It's almost like that slap in the face. You know, you didn't really appreciate summer, but here we go. Gosh, like I mean, not like we could do a whole lot either, which is probably even more depressing. Exactly. Uh, What's since this is my true first fall in New England? uh, Do you have any recommendations for what I should try to get out and do? Whatever is you know socially distanced and and safe. You're asking the wrong person. Like, come on. Oh, yeah, I am asking the guy with two babies. Exactly. You know, I'm over here trying to stop people from having poop explosions and uh, <laughs> other things. But, but um, I mean, you know, I do actually enjoy the fall. I enjoy the fall in New England. I actually enjoy going to the North End, walking along the water there, maybe having a restaurant. So that's something you could do probably, uh, order takeout, or they've kind of barricaded the streets now. So you can enjoy some food there. I think it's, there's some nice crisp fall days. The struggles when we get to winter and you kind of get slapped in the face a little bit by old man winter. I mean, um, you and I have dealt with some extreme winters. True, we both true. came out of Denver. That was a um, one market stop for us. Um, I mean, this last winter here wasn't that bad to me. It wasn't. Knock on wood somewhere. Okay, I'm sorry. Am I jinxing it? <laughs> exactly, because it's been two straight winters that were pretty mild. So who knows Shit, what this one? My bad. <laughs> so we'll we'll, uh, we'll just leave it at that. I don't want to speak on it. It's like a no hitter or something. You don't want to mention anything about it. Man, I'm always and stuff. But uh, yeah, uh, I do want to bring up this other thing that happened last night. Adam Pellerin was hosting with me. Um, he. He is his daughter Millie is having to she's in kindergarten so he's having to, to teach her, um, and just right now I, I think parenting in 2020 is is way different than than years past. Uh, would you agree? Oh, 100%. I mean, though I don't have school-age children, like my daughter's three, and I got a six-month-old, so I'm not teaching them. But coming up with different activities is you know something that's also more difficult, but. 
I mean, I couldn't imagine doing distance learning with them right now and getting them to sit at a computer and have the teacher on there and stuff. It seemed like it would be so difficult. But shout out to all the parents who are out there doing it for sure, because uh, it's a different time trying to manage work and all this stuff. It's not easy. Um, so for sure, I give it up to, to parents like Adam. Uh, Professor Adam. I called him Dr. Halloran <laughs> last night because he had to help me pronounce some medical term that I'm just god awful at pronouncing. But uh, yeah, uh, Jemai, I just want to thank you for stepping in for Emerson today. He's, he's uh, away at a wedding. Um, I think it's his brother-in-law. I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a family member. I know that. So, but uh, I know, I know he, he'll be back next week, but we always love having you on. Um, you're always giving us that. How's it? How, what is it? What is it? How, how's, how's it going? It? It's, it is Aloha Friday. So, you know, I should have uh, mentioned that in the beginning, but we I'll do it. We on the show tonight. Yeah. There's always an opportunity <laughs> for it, man. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to wrap this up, send you guys into the weekend. Uh, big weekend in store for the Patriots. See if the Celtics can somehow dig themselves out of this hole. But that's going to do it for us here on the After Hours Podcast presented by People's United Bank. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.